peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. This is Brooke West, Softly's lead registered dietitian nutritionist, always a mouthful. And I am joined today by Jamie Pop Christensen. Hello. One of my favorite people. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's a serious thing. I feel like you say that to all your guests. I definitely don't, trust me. <laughs> No, but really, um, she's one of our sponsored athletes and just an all around badass human being. So I'm really glad you're here to Thank chat you. with us again. Thank you. I always love coming and hanging out with the homies. Yeah, it's always a good time. Today, we are going to kind of tackle something I don't think we've ever done on a podcast and just be super raw and <sighs> honest. Brutally honest. I might hurt some feelings. But people need it. Usually the case. <laughs> so I'm going to let you kind of start and dive in and tell us what's been going on with you. Cause usually you come on and kind of let us know what's up. And if you haven't listened to previous episodes, definitely go back. It's worth a listen. We always have a good time. Oh my gosh. It's always a shit show. Um, this taught like today is kind of about the results of this last comp prep and what we had to do nutritionally. Um, and I guess scientifically to, to get in at weight, you know, I, uh, actually just competed at Bossa Bossa six, uh, which is in Mountain View, California, which is just South of San Francisco. Nice. There's two days that you can compete at Bossa Bosses. Friday is like an open invite, not an invite. It's like an open registration. It's a regular competition that you can, uh, enter and, and compete and with the hopes of winning an invite to the pro day, which is on Saturday and the pro day has 49 athletes. They're all a personal invitation from Dan green. I was fortunate enough to get an invitation to the pro day, um, for my first time at boss of bosses. So I registered at 132, which is, uh, what I have been competing in for years and years. Um, so this was kind of my, my biggest challenge. I think to date was trying to get down to 132 to compete and see what I could do numbers wise. I tried to play the strategy game. Right. Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> well, this is really common in so many athletes. There's weight divisions and, you hear a lot of different things. When I, I started working in athletics actually in high school and I managed the wrestling team. So I've been around this a long time and it wasn't until college that I actually started studying nutrition and had a different kind of mindset about it. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of athletes try to play the numbers game and think if I can be in a lower weight class and put up what I've been putting up, whether that's, you know, bringing it on the wrestling mat or powerlifting, they think that it's going to give them an advantage, but it can also go horribly wrong and backfire. It can. Um, to be fair, uh, my own expectations are what made this meet go, go sideways for me. I still hit a total PR uh, at that weight class. I still hit an all-time squat PR, um, regardless of weight class. Um, but I failed to meet my own expectations for what I wanted despite the cut. Um, but it is as disappointed as I was the day of the competition, like when it was all said and done, I was really disappointed in myself. Um, it was definitely an, a lesson that I needed to learn because there was nothing. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't miss a training day. I didn't miss an accessory lift. I didn't go off my nutrition plan. I went so far as to eat the same thing at the same time of day for eight weeks. And it was the same food every single day yeah. for eight weeks. You're an extremely disciplined athlete in everything you do. When it's time to yeah. turn it on, absolutely. Because I never want that what if. Mm -hmm. What if I wouldn't have had that cheat meal? What would have happened? What if... You know, I 
you know, would have pulled that, that training set? You know, what if I would have done this? Would I have hit that in the competition? I left zero room for an excuse because I had to, I had to prove to myself what I was capable of and, and what I wasn't capable of. And something that I, that I think most high level athletes do is the good ones. Anyways, we push every limit that we have, but there comes a point in time in which we, we pump, we like kind of run into a limit and we have to have the self-awareness to say, okay, it's time to go in a different direction because I didn't do anything wrong and I still wasn't able to reach that goal. That's not the right goal. It's time to set a different one. And you have to be able to adapt and change and grow into that um, in order to get any better. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I had to kind of prove to myself what I was absolutely capable of in order to know, okay, now let me go do something else and see what I can do there. Yeah. You know, and so as much as this sucked, (laughs) it was definitely something that I needed to go through and also something that I needed to be able to have the experience in so that I can talk to other people and say, okay, this is what happened. Yeah. You kind of went through and went through the other variables and we're trying to take those out as factors. That's like a really, that's a very smart way to go about it. I tracked sleep. Um, I tracked, I mean, even the time of the day that I took, you know, protein supplements or I took vitamins or I took whatever it was, the time of the day was always the same. I didn't fuck up one time. Everything was, I have data on everything. And what's crazy is because I've been able to track my sleep and because I've been tracking my nutrition now so precisely, the recovery part from the cut alone, wow. It, that took a hit on me because I can track my sleep now. And it's like, yeah. that was more intense than I thought it was going to be. Are you sure. using, what are you using to track your sleep? Um, I have an app. I, I wear an Apple watch. And then on my phone, I have this app called sleep watch. Um, basically what I, what it does is it tracks, uh, automatically like when I fall asleep, it tracks my circadian rhythm as far as like restful sleep and, uh, disturbed sleep. Uh, so if I wake up at any point, there's like a red mark. It'll tell me how long I was awake for. And then it also tracks my sleeping heart rate. So it'll compare my sleeping heart rate to like my walking heart rate and my exercise heart rate. And it'll kind of give me that variable. How accurate that is as far as like the, um, what do they call that? The, um, let me look at what this is called. Cause now I don't remember. Uh, the HRV, the mm-hmm. average sleeping HRV. Heart rate um, variability. Right? Yeah, I don't know how accurate that is with an Apple Watch. Yeah. But um, but at least it gives you an I- idea. And it, the other thing is you can track patterns. Yeah. Even though it might be n- like right on the nose as far as numbers, you right. can easily compare and track patterns. Yeah, and like I can track trends. So I can look at my monthly average sleep, weekly, daily, and I can go back you know, to comp prep and I can look at when it was a max effort day, how did that affect my sleep? Okay, and then the next time that I trained, I can look at my logbook and I can say, these are the percentages that I was supposed to hit. These are the percentages that I was able to hit relatively easily. Okay. What was my sleep like before that? Nutritionally, I already knew what I was doing, which means that if, if my percentages started to become a struggle at any certain point, I could say, okay, let me, let me rule out every possible variable that could affect that. Was it my nutrition? Could be, maybe, maybe this cut, started depleting my strength too soon. Okay. Now that I know that, let me add back in on, you know, hundred calories and see what happens. And then I can start tracking that. But it's almost like doing an elimination diet, but for training, mm-hmm. like if you leave literally nothing to chance and everything is planned and logged and strategized, it's very easy to make a small adjustments and see a really big outcome because of it. Yeah, but. you can have kind of educational guesses versus just like a shot in the dark. Yeah, you have to know what you're doing in order to, to know where you need to go, you know? And I think that that applies to really anybody that's just starting out, not even just a high-level athlete, but if you're like, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, what are you doing right now that has given you an extra 20 pounds? Identify your lifestyle right now, and then you can identify small changes that you can make that you can be consistent with Yeah, and start that process. But if you don't know what you're doing... You're just literally throwing darts at a dartboard with your eyes closed. Figure out what you're doing, know your patterns, and then make small adjustments, and then you can track them. And then you can see how effective they are. But you have to know what you're doing. And I do think I want to highlight, I love that you're talking about sleep. The recovery portion is, in my opinion, just as important as the nutrition and the training. 
Yeah. And I think that a lot of people overlook that. Yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of people think, well, I did it two a days or I'm doing a three a day. Look at how you know beast I am. Actually, you're kind of fucking stupid because you don't grow by breaking your body down. Mm-hmm. You grow when you are resting and your body is repairing the damage that you did. Every time you train, you're creating, you know, microscopic tears in the muscle. If you consistently tear that muscle, it's, it never has a chance to build back up. That It never becomes anabolic. You're, you're consistently catabolic. You're consistently tearing it apart. you got to take some rest mm-hmm. and, and allow it to grow. Um, you know, even in comp prep, I'm only training four days a week. I stop running when I'm in comp prep because it's just too much for my recovery. I'll run for as long as I can, but when it starts affecting the numbers that I need to put out, that's just something that I can take out. And then my recovery improves. That's so interesting because a lot of people do the opposite. They're like, oh, well, I got to cut for this comp. I'm going to amp up the cardio. Nope. Mm-mm. Now, for maybe different types of athletes, yeah, sure, maybe. For me, the stress to my joints, I wasn't recovering enough. Running is very hard on me. I'm not a natural runner. I'm a sprinter for sure, but I am not a distance runner. So that monotonous cardio for me was taxing an energy system that I just am not accustomed to using you know, very often, and it was taking away from my performance. So I just have to shut that down time and place. You know, I'll start running again. But not when I'm in comp prep. It just takes too much out of me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious. Did you notice any big patterns in your sleep versus before you started this cut during what that looked like when you started to like nutritionally pull away certain things? Did that affect your recovery? Absolutely. I feel so good. I mean, everything hurts and I'm dying, but every, but as far as like emotionally and as far as like my body, my energy, uh, my ability to get things done, I feel so good in comp prep. Everything is tracked. I, I hold myself to bedtimes. I have a different sleep routine. I'm not on, you know what I'm saying? I just, I get rid of all the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the extras. Mm-hmm. I just kind of streamline everything because I have a very specific goal. Is it sustainable indefinitely? No, it's not. It's cyclical with your sport. Absolutely. Right. Um, but that's also why I downregulate. Whenever I get done competing, I go off the grid for like a week and I just go sleep in my Jeep. <laughs> I feel like I got a text that was like, um, I'm going to apologize in advance for all the food I'm about to destroy. Like mm-hmm. you said, which is what you need after you've been kind of, well, you've been really smart and methodical about tapering carbohydrates and calories and did it in a really smart way. So you weren't super depleted in that sense, but. Well, I think let's, let's get into that a little bit because you and I worked incredibly close on this. Obviously, I mean, you do all my nutrition all the time anyway, but the way you and I do it is a little bit different because you don't tell me exactly which foods to eat. You and I just kind of go over my numbers because I know my body. I've been doing this for five years now. I know what foods I respond to best. Um, which makes you the ideal athlete because really it's, it's a big part of it is don't overthink it. Listen to what your body's telling you and what works for you and what doesn't, because it's not going to be the same. There's not going to be a one size fits all. No, absolutely not. You know, some, some athletes are like, Oh, I, I eat, you know, within this many hours of training, or maybe they don't even do nutrient timing at all. Maybe they're just, they eat, you know, whatever the fuck, and they don't care about where their carb sources come from. And they, and, the, and if it works for them, that's great. I'm not saying that my way is better, or worse, in, you know, whatever. It's my way. But again, I've I've been tracking and I've been logging for so long and paying attention that I I know immediately what I need versus what I want. And when it's comp prep time, when it's time to turn it on, it's just what I need. You know, do I want ice cream? but I just don't respond. It doesn't, it doesn't put anything on the platform for me. So I don't pay attention to it. Yeah. I mean, you're a human and you crave just like everyone else. You just know that you need to have the self-control and Mm -hmm. be disciplined for this goal. This isn't a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. You can eat all the ice cream after I have (laughs) (laughs) confessions of Jamie. So we started, um, in what July? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I started, so. um, I, I hit Brooke up and I'm like, look, this is going to be my last time. I feel like cutting to 132 and being able to do something with it. Um, I need to get very precise and very specific in order to make this cut successful because we were looking at what at the time, 16 pounds that I needed to lose in order to get down to make weight. 
and I was at 11.4% body fat. Yeah. You were at about 146, right? When yeah. the whole thing started. When the whole, when you and I decided to, or when I decided and you eagerly decided to help, uh, I was 146 pounds. And you needed to get down to 132 weight class. I had to be under 132 pounds. Yeah. Right. So math was that 15, 16 pounds. Yep. Okay. Um, so nutritionally we kind of looked at my DEXA scan results and fed my lean mass and starved my fat. So in eight weeks we got down nutritionally to what? 141, 142. What's that say? 141. 141 pounds. So that was just over five and a half pounds of fat loss because I believe if I look at my numbers, I gained muscle a little bit. Yeah, you were just, yeah, you definitely, um, what is that, like 0.2? But still, still. most people lose muscle during a cut. Yeah. So you were holding steady and kind of tipped the scales a little the other way. That's why we work with professionals so that we don't (laughs) go catabolic. We we can cut fat and gain muscle at the same time um, because it is possible, but this is why I lean so heavily on legit gold standard body fat tests because it matters. Maybe for your average person, they don't, I don't feel like they need that. Well, I mean, I would probably be considered an average person these days. I'm no longer a competitive athlete in any capacity, but I still think doing a DEXA once a year, even just kind of keeps like, that's my version of a physical. I want to go in. I want to know what my bone density looks like, you know, trends with fat and lean mass. That's still important. I think especially with bone density, Mm -hmm. you hit mid thirties. What are they, what did he tell? He said mid thirties, women have the bone density that they're going to be working from for the rest of their life. That's kind of scary to think about. Yeah. Because as women age, that's the first thing that goes is our own bone density. Just biologically. You're at risk for osteoporosis. Absolutely. And so when you, when you weight train, you know, we build bone density. Um, but even then I don't think, again, I'll know in five years, you know, when I'm no longer in my thirties, but I'll know if I can continue to build bone density. Yours is like off the charts high and it makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's beautiful because, uh, you're definitely setting yourself up. You will not be that lady that's fallen over breaking hips. That's for sure. Hopefully (laughs) keep that mobility in check and you should be good. Softly mobility. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so we cut just over five and a half pounds through nutrition alone. And again, it, you know, I've posted my meal plan on my social media so you can know exactly what I did. And, you know, I didn't post different meals, different days because I ate the same thing every day. And it just, for me, that simplified it. I had so much else, you know, work and whatever else that I was doing. That was one variable that I just didn't want to allow myself any reason to fuck up, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I, I landed in San Francisco at 141, 142 pounds. Um, and then we started the water cut process to drop that last 10, which I won't give instructions on how to do. Um, but I will say that in, let me see my starting weight. Let me look at my notes here. Would you say that water cutting is extremely prevalent in the sport of powerlifting? Yes. Okay. I mean, I know it is in bodybuilding for different reasons, kind of, but, um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Water cutting. So yeah, in bodybuilding, you're trying to reveal the muscle, Mm -hmm. right? And if there's any water on top of the muscle, you're not able to see the striations and the definition. So that is an aesthetic thing. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're competing in a power sport and you're needing to make weight, you're literally just manipulating the scale so that you are creating a quote unquote, even playing field, which is not true because by the time I went to bed that night, I was 147 pounds from 131.6. So was it even? (laughs) No, (laughs) but I mean, I did what I had to do, but Yeah. yeah, I started, um, at 141 and then by eight o'clock that night I was 136 and then decided, you know, we kind of had to turn it up a little bit. Um, by the next morning I was 133 and by weigh-ins I was 131.6 and deaf with a heart rate of 170 and it's the stupidest thing I've ever fucking done in my life. But that's the reality that I think people need to understand. It can be really dangerous. It is really dangerous. I was in the, I was at the Olympia three years ago, maybe four now. I'm trying to remember. Um, there was a guy there that made weight 
hit hit his target, did fine. He fucked up his refeed, um, had a vasovagal response, started vomiting, and because he was so dehydrated, he ruptured his esophagus and wound up in a medically induced coma for 10 days, something like that, on life support in ICU in Vegas because he fucked up his refeed. So... So refeed for like refeed syndrome for a lot of people who don't know this happens with people who have eating disorders too and is common but it's going to throw off your hydration and electrolyte balance and it can cause death. Oh, a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. The risk of stroke and of heart attack and I mean I've got another another girlfriend of mine. Um, she lives in Colorado. She two years ago went to cut for powerlifting and passed out in the bathroom and had internal bleeding. Um, was taken to the hospital. She couldn't compete. She, it just, people died. The, the day that, um, I made weight and I had posted on my Instagram about, I went on some rant about how fucking stupid it was. And, and it is, it's the stupidest thing I've ever done. Um, I had a follower message me and was like, my friend died last week from a water cut on her first competition. She decided to water cut and she died. And it's like, okay, risk versus reward. I get people are going to water cut. I get it. It it people do it, right? I I've done it now five times, six times, something like that. I don't know, but it's fucking stupid, and it's it's messing with your health in a way that we you don't know long term implications from it. I'm I'm a week removed, and I am still recovering from a water cut. Aside from one night that I slept seven hours because I was sleeping in my Jeep, I've, I've hit nine hours of sleep plus every single night when I average eight, mm-hmm. normally seven and a half. Um, I've been eating constantly. I, like I cannot get enough. I'm like an empty pit. I have, I have no desire to train. I have no desire to do it. It's just, it just, it messes with you for a long time. Um, and it's the stupidest fucking thing because here's what happened. So I, I made weight, right? And mm-hmm. my goal, I wanted to make weight. I wanted to hit an all-time total PR of over 1,100, which my training numbers indicated that I should hit. Um, I wanted to squat 402. I wanted to bench press 240, 235, 240. I was going to call it on that day. And then I wanted to pull 484, mm-hmm. which all my training numbers indicated that I should be able to do. The day of the competition after I made weight, I hit my 402 squat, which is an all-time squat PR, which is fantastic. I only got my opener on bench press of 209, which I have benched for five, six reps. Um, and I only got my opener on deadlift, which was 425, which I have repped. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times. I just, I lost all my strength. And so that's the risk that you take is, okay, so you're going to cut to make weight so that you can put up these really big numbers. But it's a fine line because if you cut too much, you don't know what your body's going to do. You don't know it's a gamble part of the fun of it. I get it. But I left almost a hundred pounds on the platform, the number. So if I would have just walked in fully loaded, even, okay. So let's say I even just did the nutrition part of the cut and I went to 141. I could have competed at 148, but I would have hit all of my numbers. I assume, cause I wouldn't have lost any strength. I would have not only won the 148 class, but I would have hit an all-time total PR and an all-time Wilkes PR. But I left all of that on the table to do what? Play strategy that I, that I took third place with? I shot myself in the foot. But like I said, I needed to do it because in my head, I had this goal of pulling 500 at 132. I had to know for sure that that wasn't possible. Otherwise, yeah. it was going to be something that I was forever going to chase. So this competition, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm eliminating every outside influence from my life. And I'm going to chase this goal until I fucking know for sure that I can't do it. Other women can, other men can, I, that's fine. But for me, I had to do it to know for sure that it wasn't possible. And then I can let it go. Right. And I can focus on just getting fucking stronger, which is now what I'm doing. Fuck the scale, get jacked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But so many people, they always think to cut weight, cut weight, cut weight, fucking stop it. Get strong. Well, And I know that I'm coming at this from a different perspective because I'm a, you know, registered dietitian. I'm coming at the side of a health professional who knows all the science and where things can go wrong, not from an athlete perspective. I really, really think 
in my experience, athletes who do a nutritional cut, who are set up to fly in to compete, they're already at weight, they can have a good meal before, they're not doing a water cut, they're performing and feeling so much better. And even if that means they're moving up a weight class, I just think that that's the ideal scenario is you can absolutely cut a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And even if you need to manipulate water a little bit, like day of, I mean, I just really think that going the route of a water cut, I have not seen work in anyone's favor. I mean, I have. I have seen it work. Uh, I think, though, that the difference lies in where your starting point is. You'll get, you know, uh, some of the best heavyweight men coming in, right? And let's say they typically walk around at 260-ish and they'll cut to 242 and they'll put up these massive numbers. I'm talking like over 2,000 totals and it's insane. And they cut 20 some plus pounds. But you got to look at though too, A, men and women are different. B, what was their body composition like at 260? How much room do, do they have to move that scale? When you look at, when you look at the DEXA here, I started at 11.4% with uh, 124.47 pounds of lean mass. And I'm trying to cut to 131, or I'm sorry, under 132. So I have no room to move. That's what made it so dangerous, I think, is you didn't have a lot to cut, period. So you didn't really have a choice. No, no, no. And so when, oh, what drives me fucking crazy is I'll see these women on Facebook in different strength groups that I'm a part of. And they'll say, oh, you know, I, I just couldn't get there nutritionally. So I have to water cut. And I don't argue with them. All I do is I go to their Facebook and I look at their photos and I think to myself, the fuck you didn't. And I'm not trying to be a dick. Honestly, I am not trying to be an asshole. I'm just saying you did not do what it takes nutritionally to know that for sure. Because you, you don't have it. If you can't do it nutritionally through discipline and willpower, stop cheating and doing a water cut and risking your fucking life because you were too lazy. And I'm going to say it. You were too fucking lazy to stick to a meal plan to do it nutritionally. If you can't do it nutritionally, you have no fucking reason to do a water cut. You don't. Yeah. And I I guess that's my thing too, is when I say I haven't seen it work is like, I haven't seen someone do that and be like, I feel great. I feel better because then you have to make up for everything you lost because you're in an extremely dehydrated state. It's, I went fucking deaf, Brooke. I went deaf. My last round of sauna, I went deaf aside from the ringing in my ears that was caused by my high blood pressure. And I tracked my heart rate the entire time. So I went into the sauna. It was 189 degrees in the sauna. And I went in there and I laid on a towel and I focused on keeping my heart rate low. I went through all the breathing techniques that Softly has taught me, um, how to regulate breathing and heart rate and drop my heart rate. Anyways. And when I first started, I was like, okay, if my heart rate gets over 120, my sleeping heart rate is 43. When I'm, when I'm dead asleep, I have a resting heart rate of 43 beats a minute. My walking heart rate is typically between 58 and 63. I'm like, okay, I will allow myself to get to 120. I will let my just laying down get to 120 and then I'll get out of the sauna. And I did that for the first couple of rounds, but the scale wasn't moving. I needed to push harder. And that's when I thought about, you know, what am I willing to do for this goal? And it scared the fuck out of me because I was willing to do whatever it took. So I'd get back in the sauna and I went deaf when my heart rate hit 170 and it was just ringing in my ears. Yeah. And I'd get out of the sauna and I'd check the scale and I'd get back in the sauna and I'd get out and I'd check the scale and I'd get back in. And finally, when I weighed 132 on my little travel scale, completely naked, <laughs> sorry, everyone at the 24 hour fitness <laughs> Mountain View, California, but, um, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go weigh in now, but I was fucking deaf, dude. B had to like carry me out, put me on the scale. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was hard to watch you kind of chronicle, you know, you and B were both chronicling like what you had to do to get there. And it was hard to look at what even you looked like at the end of that water cut. I look like death. You, you did. And I, I was very fucking close to actually being dead. Um, but that's why like, as stupid as it sounds, like I know as much as I'm preaching now and I am about how fucking stupid water cuts are. I had to do it 
for my own reasons, because, you know, the, the reality was, is like, I knew death was like a real fucking thing. I was morbidly okay with it just because of who I am, but, um, it's not fucking worth it. And especially knowing now, like had I not cut and just walked in, I would have fucking won the 148s. I would have won by well over 200 pounds, which is stupid. But I don't look at my comp- my competition when I compete. I just right. go to hit my own goals and my own numbers. But well, when you went into this, you said this is going to be my last time doing this, and I'm glad after that. You know, you realize that that's you're you're not seriously. This was your last time. Uh, I w- if I if I ever tried to get to 132 again, I'll die. And I, it's the reality of it. The other thing is, there's no room for growth. You would have to stay. I'm limiting. Or lo- yeah. Honestly, you would have to lose lean mass to I, be able to right. sit comfortably at 132. And and what kind of power could I produce in, yeah. in limiting my own strength? And that's like, you know, oh, fuck, man. I could get so strong if I just let myself get bigger. But here's here's the only problem is too is body dysmorphia is a real fucking thing. Yeah. And I think it's real prevalent in high level athletes because we get so accustomed to being lean and, and looking a certain way aesthetically. Even though me personally, I have never in my life trained for aesthetics. My aesthetic is a, is a side effect of my consistent nutrition and training. I still get accustomed to what I look like. Mm-hmm. And for me to know, even as a female in the whole myth of, well, weightlifting makes you bulky. Well, I mean, you're going to add muscle size. And then if you've got fat riding on top of that muscle, you are going to look fucking big. That's the reality of it. It takes a long fucking time for a woman to look bulky, mm-hmm. but we, we will just like men do. I mean, that's what fucking science does. And so I have to work on, okay, I might lose my abs. I might lose some definition, but what's more important? What's more important? What do I want? Because if I don't want power, if I don't want my total to grow, I'm in the wrong fucking sport. Go, go bodybuild. Yeah. Go bodybuild. If, if what you really care about is what you look like, go be a bodybuilder because they train for aesthetics. It's the same thing normal people struggle with. And you have this idea in your head of what you are comfortable looking like and where you're comfortable sitting as far as weight and everything. And so when you deviate from that, just like everyone else, it can be a mental challenge. It can't. Well, and especially now add in a social media platform where Mm -hmm. people look at you and hashtag the word goals. Okay. That's not fucking pressure. (laughs) It is. You're under a, a microscope really too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But it's, do I allow that to dictate the, the, my trajectory with what I want to do. Do I let other people's wish list of what I look like play a role in the track that I take in my life? What's more important, what other people think of me or what I want? Fuck other people. I don't give a shit. I yeah. will say I feel better when I'm lean, so I doubt that I'm going to, you know, just get off the rails and go back upwards of... Mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. I don't see myself getting over 12%. I just don't feel good there. I like to be able to rock climb and run and bike and swim. And I, actually the last two are a lie. I fucking hate biking and swimming, but, <laughs> but you said the other day you were going to try what swimming more or something you yeah. about that. I mean, maybe, but, but. see, um, if you look, you have, how long have you been doing Dexas? Just really the last year, right? I mean, I've done hydrostatic underwater weighing for five years. And what would you normally, like, what is your highest percentage body fat and the time that you've really been kind of an elite level serious athlete my first uh body fat test um i came in at 12 something yeah and because even the numbers i'm looking at in your dexa um 11.5 percent body fat is really the highest you went Mm -hmm. and that was back in march so you weren't Mm -mm. you were just kind of being you I take that back. I think the highest I was was 15. I was 15%. My very first uh, hydrostatic underwater weighing that was in San Diego. And then I had started with a nutritionist and I dropped to 12%. And then I don't think I've ever been over 12% in the past five years. And that's really lean for a female and not all females can be comfortable there as far as, you know, body composition, but you do really well there. Like you don't seem to have, everyone's different. I think in that sense. Oh, well, I mean, it's biologically, I'm predisposed, obviously, to be able to be that lean. I don't think that the majority of females can stay that lean. Obviously, they can get there and they can maintain it um, if they choose to. But 
sometimes biologically your body's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to start, your nails are going to get brittle. Your hair is going to start falling out. Your skin's going to look like trash. You're not going to sleep. You're not going to recover. Like all of these metabolic uh, issues will start to happen at a lean it, when you when you're too lean and it's not like you're not trying you know there's plenty of women that do stick to nutrition and they do train their ass off and they do everything right but their body says no and you can't fight science you know not everyone is going to be an elite level athlete you're that's not something that is sustainable or achievable for most people otherwise everyone would be an elite level athlete right that's the reality of it genetic you know uh Gifts, I guess, what you're born with does play a huge fucking role in it. Sometimes you can't fight science. I mean, you can train your ass off, but there's only going to be a certain level of, you know, Olympic swimmers. Not everyone is going to be an Olympic swimmer. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a, you brought up a good point too, is so usually women like 15 to 18% body fat, they might start to see those, those signs yeah. and you need to listen to them because you can, you can really also have, you know, negative long-term health effects from a lot of that. And, and, and effects that maybe you don't even notice right away. So I'm, I'm actually probably even a little ignorant sitting here saying that I am totally fine as lean as I am. I don't know what I'm going to look like in 10 years. I will tell you, like, I have a face full of Botox right now because I am <laughs> so lean that I'm covered in wrinkles just because I have no body fat. So like my face so it's like, okay, now I metabolize Botox really, really fast. So I'm in getting Botox every six to eight weeks just to maintain. Looking. They must love you. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyone who does Botox in the North Carolina area, if you want a uh, sponsored athlete. <laughs> she's, she's in need of some regular maintenance. Shit is so expensive. It is. <laughs> but I mean, there's, those are, that's a side effect that I'm already noticing. Now, will I ever rebound from that? If, if I get her or let's say I change goals and something happens and I decide, okay, I want to get back up to 20% body fat because I want to go do whatever the fuck else I want to go do. Am I going to hold fat the same way? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I am totally ignorant in, in knowing what's going to happen to me in five to 10 years, what I'm doing now in, in, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen being as lean as I am for as long as I have been. I don't know. Right now I feel great. And what's, yeah, what's crazy is I think a lot of the stuff that's kind of controversial and fascinating to me in athletics isn't really researched for ethical reasons. They're not really looking at like long-term health effects of something that they know is not good for your body. So they can't even really say for a lot of these, like they, you know, they can't say without a fact, like this is what you can expect. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is your trajectory. If you continue on the path that you're on, nobody knows. Well, and I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, going to give those answers because I still think that biology comes and plays a huge role in it. But I do know that as much data as I collect, as much like hard, you know, numbered analytical, like I log everything, you know, I've been, what, what's the word? Amnuriac mm -hmm. for five years, four years. I haven't had a period. I feel fine. Does that mean I'm fine? I don't know. All of my blood tests come back normal. <laughs> That's all I know right now. <laughs> but I think that women specifically need to stop fucking water cutting because they say that they can't get there nutritionally. Yes, you can. You should be able to get extremely close nutritionally. And if you're not, there's something you need to be changing. Like all the variables you're talking about. All, well, not only that, what fucking weight class are you trying to compete in? That's the if other thing. you can't get yep. there nutritionally and you have to depend on a water cut, I would say anything more than five pounds for women. Um, if you can't get there nutritionally, and let's say you have to water cut the last five pounds, okay, I, I get that. Five pounds, not actually not that much. It's probably not that difficult to cut five pounds. I mean, you can fluctuate that in a day if you're just like dehydrated from binge drinking yeah. <laughs> if we're being honest right i mean okay fine you need to water cut the last four or five pounds sure but people tend to think that's like i don't know if it's makes you like an athletic rite of passage or a badass it's a fucking i don't know bragging right and it's wrong but it, yeah that to me i think is something that needs to be highlighted is you know you are doing something that could be risking your life yeah. and especially if you've never done it before 
you don't know where that limit is. And if they are not experienced or tracking things like heart rate, man, you're really in some trouble. Okay. And not only that, but you, oh, you know, I, I cut this much weight. Huh? What, how, where'd you get your protocol from? I Googled it. Huh. Did you use the same protocol that a male uses? Cause women are different. Who's your coach? Who's guiding you through this? Did you have anybody with you? What happens? What was your plan when your plan fails? What are you going to do if this happens and this happens? Are you prepared? What's your refeed look like? What's your rate of hydration afterwards? Are you using glycerin? What's go- you know what I'm saying? Like people are ignorant and they don't know. And that's how people die. And that's why all of these girls are like, oh, she's oh, one lady told me that her 17 year old was cutting for her first powerlifting competition. And I was like, are you fucking stupid? And you're a, her mother are, is not only allowing her to do this, but did you help her? like allocate resources in order to make this happen. That's dumb. That's so dumb. I just can't (laughs) like, I just, I think that it's awesome to hear you talk about this so candidly because I want, well, as a health professional, I want people to understand the risks and consequences. Mm -hmm. I think that's super important. People are going to do whatever it is they're going to do in me sitting here on this podcast and being like, you're fucking stupid for doing it whatever. They're just going to get mad and do it anyway. I don't care. I really don't. But if one person, if one specifically female listens to this and was like, Oh, uh, I was going to compete at, you know, I walk around at 162. I want to compete at 148 because that's the lowest you have 148 to 165. That's the, that's a big fucking jump. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think that we need to have 10 pound weight classes. Um, I think that it would be a lot more feasible for a lot of women. You'd have a lot less people cutting and you would see numbers go up because if people don't cut, they can put up more weight. Um, but if you don't, if you don't do it nutritionally as far as you can, and if you don't get, if you don't have the um, mental fortitude of eliminating every possible variable before you even entertain the idea of a water cut, you're just, you're not a real athlete. Real athletes log everything. They track everything. They do whatever it takes. And that means, hey, you don't get a cheat meal for eight weeks. You eat the same thing every day for eight weeks. You you leave no excuses. That's what, that's what the real athletes do. Yeah. And if you can't be disciplined about it, you should probably rethink the sport you're in before you start putting yourself in really risky situations to cheat it. Now, and now let me just say, when I say the word like real athlete, I'm talking about the ones who bank on a water cut. I'm not talking about the the people who just go and compete because that's their passion and that's what they love. You're, you're a fucking athlete. And I would never say that you're not, I'm, I'm talking about the ones who say, Oh, I'll just water cut it. Oh, I'm just going to eat like an asshole up until the week of the meet. And then I'm just going to water cut. Those are the people that I'm talking about. Not, you know, people that just fucking walk in fully loaded. Those people I think are the best, <laughs> the best athletes that are just like, you know what? Yeah, I am going to do everything that I need to do nutritionally and I'm going to fuel my performance and I'm going to chase, you know, all of my goals and all of that. But they just, they just do it because it's their passion. They're not trying to play the numbers game, which is now honestly where I'm going to come in at and see what I can do. Cause I think that for the past year I've been limiting my strength by trying to limit my scale mm-hmm. and I want to know what I can do. I'm so excited. So what, so what's next for you? The current U S open in April. Okay. So you've got some time to decompress and kind of, so I took, you know, this past week or so after boss of bosses, um, I haven't tracked anything. I haven't logged anything. I have no idea how much I weigh right now. Um, I've slept when I've needed to sleep. I've just kind of put social media away. Um, I kind of just, kind of went off the grid a little bit to downregulate and give myself, you know, that mental break. You know, my mom died this prep. Mm-hmm. I was what? Three weeks out from competing. Yep. My mom died like fuck. You know what I did when I got the phone call that she died? I hit a five rep PR for squat. That's what I needed to do that day. So that's what I went and did. Like I, when I tell you, I fucking let nothing affect this prep. I let nothing affect this prep. That's what I did. I flew, I flew home for the funeral. I was there for 48 hours. I trained while I was there and I came home and I trained. That's what I did. I just shut it off. And so I needed this past week to just kind of like breathe, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now it's, now it's breathe, relax. 
and now we just start working now. You know, I'm going to go back on meal plan, but just regular soft leaf nutrition meal plan. I'm not going to eat the same thing every day. Um, I'll just rotate meals out as you program them, which by the way, I'm very excited about. <laughs> yeah. And then we eat and then we kind of just roll into some volume training and start building my numbers back up. I have numbers in my head that I want to hit that I think that I'm capable of hitting by April. Um, so we'll see. I'm excited because I think this was like a huge, like, as I know you didn't necessarily get all the results that you wanted, but I feel like you learned and like, we're able to grow so much from this. Dude. And you know, what's crazy as I was talking to Greg Panora, are you familiar with him? The name sounds familiar. He's an old West side guy, uh, who him and I were having a conversation and he asked me, you know, what my goal was. And I said, I want to pull 500. And uh, my goal when I talked to him is like, I want to pull 500 at 132. Like that was my all time goal. And he goes, what if you pull 496? What if you pull 496? Did you fail? And I sat and immediately I was like, no, like it's just, that's just information. And it is. But I think like the longer that I sat with like what he asked me, I was like, dude, like you fucking nailed it, man. You don't train for numbers. Numbers are nice. Numbers are a side effect, just like my aesthetic. I train just to add pounds to the bar. If I add five pounds to the bar, not 10, did I fail? I think any progression is progression and it's right. a win. So I don't know. Yeah, I have number goals, but I think that as long as I did more than I did last time, I think that's the real win, you know, just progression and consistency is. Well, and I think this will be a fun shift too, because you get to try um, and have a little more leeway so you can build more lean mass and, and see what's next. I'm going to fill out 148s. I'm going to see what, I'm going to see what happens. And I think that that would be the cool thing that if we could see powerlifting kind of switch over to maybe not so much of a Wilkes focus. Now Wilkes for anyone not listening is a formula used to calculate a score based on pounds lifted between three lifts compared to your personal body weight you come up with a Wilkes formula there's a lot of competitions that you're qualifying so you're not allowed to register for this competition unless you have a certain number Wilkes which is like the U.S. Open they invite so many athletes and they open it up for open registration but you have to be at a certain level mm -hmm. you know if you've got a 240 Wilkes you can't compete at the open and the numbers are out for whatever so what it is would be year. a Wilkes that or Wilkes I'm sorry that would depends on weight class um an internationally elite numbers like a 500 Wilkes. Okay. Um, that's kind of like what's considered an elite, an elite number. Um, I think Mariana, uh, and I cannot pronounce your last name. I'm very sorry. I love you. She's Russian, trains out of California elite. She hit a 666 Wilkes. Cece Holcomb, um, had she, uh, not shifted in the bottom of her last squat at boss of bosses would have had over 700 wilks wow which is fucking insane yeah and i love to say that it's coming from women so it's, it's like badass. hey so look at what if if a woman eliminates all variables and is willing to do what it takes what can we do man pound for pound we're stronger than men i said it what <laughs> <laughs> yes i love it yeah but i think for average people um aside from the water cut and aside from i think what it takes to do some of these high level shows it's still about consistency and about tracking and logging and being like look you have goals let's say your goal is you want to pass some entrance physical entrance for police academy or you want to be a firefighter or you know whatever it is that's still a goal and it's still going to be challenging for you and you need to trade it the same as a high level athlete does mm -hmm. and how do you do that it's goal setting it's planning it's visualization it's meal prepping it's you know consistency over everything else and just understanding expectation versus reality and some things and your own limitations that's huge I love that. That's like the perfect nugget for people to take away. And I do think that it's 
you know, I just want to recognize you for all the work that you put in. It's awesome to watch as a friend and someone who gets to like kind of help you along the way as well, as much as I can professionally. So it's, it's really awesome. And I can't wait to see kind of what keeps coming. You never, never a dull moment. Oh, you God. always <laughs> keep it going you in so many ways. Dude, I am going to say thank you, first of all, for that. Um, it's hard, I think, sometimes to kind of like sit back when you're always focused on what's next. It's It takes a lot to stop and be mm-hmm. like, this is what I did. And it's hard, too, I think, for a lot of athletes to do that. A, we don't. I think there's some, and maybe it's just me and I'm totally talking out of my ass here, but I think in order, if I stop and think about like what I did, I feel like it would almost, I would sit there for too long. So I never, I never like, it's like, yeah, okay. I did do these things and it's fucking cool. Blink. Let's move on to something else. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I think that attitude is what makes you also really humble, which is refreshing because I think it can easily go to people's heads a lot of the times when they're athletes, especially with the following on social media and everything. So it's really awesome to have you as a friend. I love you. I love you too. So hard. (laughs) So hard. Thanks for coming and spending the time to come out here. I know you're, you've got a lot of stuff you want to do and also just spend time for yourself relaxing. So I always appreciate having you here. I love being here and being able to put a voice to some things that I think need to be said, you Absolutely. Know, especially in the realm of power sports, which are, I think more and more popular all the time. And a lot of information is out there. I also just a little nugget. I want to say with Brooke sitting here that even nutritionally, we didn't carb deplete. No, no, I ate carbs. <laughs> you tapered them, you tapered them, but you were never carb depleted. No, I had energy the entire time. I never went into a deficit, really. I mean, I fed the muscle and we were good. Mm-hmm. It was very good. strategic and it worked pretty well and in that worked. sense. But And I think that, you know, if I can do it, literally anybody can. I am like <laughs> the hardest person. <laughs> Hard-headed in all your ways. Where can people find you and reach out if they have questions, comments, concerns? Um, on Instagram. I typically, that's what I, my Facebook, I, not so much. I don't. Facebook's I don't. dying, in my opinion. I mean, I, I'm into some group chats and stuff on Facebook, but yeah. typically I don't check the messages there. For me, that's a different platform. Instagram, Jamie Pop Christensen. I check my DMs. Yeah, you're good about that. And I love that you have kind of like, a, you give people a behind the scenes look. You're not always like, hey, my life is 100 glamour all the time. Oh, Jesus, I slept on a dog bed in the back of my Jeep two nights ago. <laughs> I love it. That's what yeah. I did. I think your adventures, <laughs> yeah, your adventures are just as great as watching your athletic journey. Thank you. I try to highlight, if you go to my Instagram, there's like, uh, you know, boss of bosses. I tried to, and I'll, I'll go back through my archives and add some stuff maybe that I forgot, but I, I wanted to make sure that I keep all of that stuff up there because... You know, people will see these athletes, you know, oh, I made weight and this is, and then I did this. Yeah, but you kind of breezed over the part where you made weight. People need to know that it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not an easy process and it's dangerous and it's really something that I wanted to be vocal about, you know, and hopefully people stop treating it as if it's just an easy way out. Yeah, you don't understand the risks and the long-term effects. I don't know. Thank you for giving me the voice. Important conversations. Yeah, for sure. It needs to be said, you know? Yeah. And if you all have any feedback or want to reach me, you can always reach me at Brooke at softly.com or on social media at Brooke West underscore RDN. I'm always available for suggestions about podcast or questions or feedback. I love it. Thank you. Bye.